Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with poet Stephen Ratcliffe and host Steve Heilig. So today we have gentleman, scholar, poet, <laughs> surfer, Stephen Ratcliffe. So, hello. 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 Proceed. Steve, proceed? Yes. <laughs> I, that's the key word. I know what it means. Steve has the plan that when he said proceed, I would begin to read. And he joked a, a moment ago that I was going to read everything in these two <laughs> volumes, at which point you might be released by two in the morning. My voice held out. Might not today. I won't say anything uh, about what I'm reading. I'll just read, and then you can hear it, and then we could talk. Yes. Yeah, because I could. We will. As Gertrude Stein said about Ezra Pound, he is a village explainer, which is good if you're a village, but not if you are not. So I don't want to explain anything right now. I'll just read. Let you listen. 2-1. Light coming into sky above still black ridge. Unseen toey calling from field and foreground. Sound of wave and channel. Supposed to be a meditation on thought. So-called set in darkness as opposed to light. Yellow wall, yellow orange of sun rising above ridge. Gull flapping from channel toward point. 2-2. Two, two. Gray rain cloud moving against shadowed plain of ridge, drops falling on bricks in foreground, sound of wave and channel, systems of which observable present, extension of that, higher than the first, one another connected orange line of sun reflected in channel, cormorants flapping across toward point. Two, three. Light coming into sky above black plain of ridge. Cypress branch moving in wind in foreground. Sound of wave in channel. Focus on what was seeing it. Like any such looking surrounding space was this aspect that. Separate gray rain cloud against shadowed ridge. Wave breaking across wind-blown channel. 2-4. Light coming into clouds above shadowed ridge, song sparrows calling from field and foreground, wave sounding in channel. See letter, pen, and ink, two views of it seen from, happened for the first time to be called, setting yellow line of sun reflected in channel, clouds on horizon across from the point. 2-5. Light coming into sky above still black ridge. Birds slanting toward pine branch in foreground. Sound of wave in channel. Realism and idealism. World on horizon of visible part of these. Replace with abstract alongside orange of cloud above shoulder of ridge. Whiteness of gull flapping toward point. Two six. Gray-white rain cloud against invisible top of ridge. Motion of shadowed leaves in foreground. 
sound of wave and channel, one which in doing thought possible as is or the leaves against wall picture would have that, this yellow-orange sky beside shadowed ridge, gull flapping to the right toward point. 2-7. Clouds moving to the left against plain of ridge, bird perched on redwood fence in foreground, sound of wave and channel. Equation above with respect to, now which becomes conditional, based on which is, on the other hand, gray rain cloud against shadowed ridge, whiteness of gall gliding toward point. 2-8. Gray-white rain cloud against invisible ridge, shadowed branches moving in wind in foreground, sound of wave in channel. The sense in which one will may strike you as to which at every point, while in fact, nevertheless, gray-white rain cloud against shadowed ridge, gull flapping from channel toward point. 2-9. Gray-white rain cloud against invisible ridge, shadowed bird standing on branch in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Toward the horizon, surface bordered by figure of being thus transformed into this was again seen gray rain cloud against shadowed ridge, waves breaking across mouth of channel. 210. Light coming into fog against invisible ridge, bird slanting toward pine branch in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Thought as any other object, be to it what of that is, part of which it is in part, this perhaps, clouds against invisible plain of ridge, waves breaking across windblown channel. 2.11. Gray whiteness of fog against invisible top of ridge, sparrow landing on branch in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Interpretation on the basis of, not determined by picture of person, focus on leaves, blue or green, fog against invisible shoulder of ridge, fog on horizon to the left of the point. 2.12. Light coming into sky above fog against ridge, song sparrow calling from branch in foreground, sound of wave in channel which becomes the following, such due to fact that let, as in relative to from any, these apart from fog in, against invisible shoulder of ridge, clouds on horizon across from the point. 2.13. Light coming into fog against invisible ridge, two birds calling back and forth in foreground, sound of wave in channel. View such that, thinking when you see it again, effect due to reading, flat on her back, two legs, fog against invisible shoulder of ridge, fog on horizon to the left of the point. 2.14. Light coming into fog against invisible ridge, birds beginning to call in field in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Man across field, 
two views more than some others in place of there which is happens, what sort of fog against invisible shoulder of ridge, fog on horizon to the left of the point. 2.15, light coming into sky through blackness of trees, shadowed black branch in left foreground, no sound of wave and channel, said of other objects, some because it follows it, because its form was itself as well, in which was fog against invisible shoulder of ridge, fog on the horizon to the left of the point. 216. Light coming into sky above still black ridge, white edge of moon behind branch in foreground, sound of wave and channel, relation to actual one that is, it not being here, trace of it standing for it, say first thing, flat triangular white peak in gray-white sky, sunlit branches of trees across from it. 2.17. Two light coming into sky above still black ridge, white circle of moon by branches in foreground, wave sounding in channel, matter a kind of dust which random motion of each be invariant in relation to, these follow deduced orange edge of sun above shadowed ridge, cormorants flapping across toward point. 218, gray whiteness of sky above black plain of ridge, moon and clouds above branches in foreground, wave sounding in channel. Notice that can be apparent what you have in mind, tilted view, leaves no room for such, no question. Orange of cloud above shoulder of ridge, whiteness of waning moon across from it. 219. Light coming into sky above still black plain of ridge, moon across from branch in foreground, sound of wave and channel, clear blue and nothing else in the way. These two events, setting of position, which at once, object, yellow of cloud above shoulder of ridge, clouds on horizon across from the point. 220, first gray light in sky above blackness of ridge, waning white moon and branches in foreground, sound of wave and channel. What had been said about it, which is it? being it which at that time appeared as noted position of gray line of cloud above shadowed ridge, white line, line of white water breaking into channel. I'll stop there. It's up to that's 220. Today. That's so today. That's February but 20th, right? So that's February the first 20th of, of which year? 2013, I believe. So that's when you started this. Was that in the first... Uh, let me just double check. 2013. 2013 yeah. It started on uh, October 1st, 2013. Right. Yeah. And it goes until. It goes until. The, o the only dates I realize are in the back of this volume two, and there's no mention of anything about that on any, anywhere else. Right. But it says 10-1-13 uh, through 6-26-16 at the bottom of the last page. So that's the... That's uh, maybe the clue, partly the clue. 
Was there any uh, plan or reason for that? Did you just find that it was the right time to start and stop? Uh, there was certainly a plan and reason. Yeah. Should I say what it was? I think so. <laughs> so this is the fifth uh, of these thousand-page uh, books that I've uh, done, in, written in consecutive days. So the previous one ended on the previous day, which must have been September uh, 30th. Is that the 30 days half September? Yeah. Yeah. 2013, and it went, uh, yeah, went back to uh, whatever, a thousand days before that. And so the so, first one started when? About. Uh, I don't have my... Uh, uh, <laughs> Calendar. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Actually, I have a piece of paper at home that has those things, but uh, no, it, you know, I have these. This is the first of these thousand-page works that has appeared as a book. Right. And the other ones are online. There, there's an, a, a site called uh, Eclipse. A poet professor named Craig Dworkin has uh, a, a lot of uh, out-of-print, out of rare works and some new things. This is called Editions uh, Eclipse. But anyway, uh, so in my living room, if you've been to my house, you've seen this maybe on a table. There are these stacks of each manuscript about this tall, so there five, there's, and there's one more now that is almost finished called Window, which I've been writing, and actually if we had time today, I could read mm -hmm. some of the poems from Window in February, ending with today. So when you look at this, you can see what's happening in the weather and those come from with, year to year. Those this, comes with photos online too, the Window come, ones. Yeah, yeah. There are, yeah I post it. these on a, a blog site called Temporality right. together with a photo. So in the window series, there's a picture of a window. So window in my hand. It's been quite a few years now that you've been doing this. How does it work? Is it first thing in the morning? You go down there. Uh, first, yeah, I, I write them in the morning, but I do a lot of work uh, previous to the writing of the poems, taking notes, having notebooks. I have a lot of you know sort of gathering material to go into these poems because. Uh, uh, sometimes I really had to get on the move when I was teaching at Mills. I didn't have all day to sit and dream up this poem. I had to, I put them together, you know. Are you of, doing the, a lot of them at home from your impressions or are you go, oh yeah. do you go well, down actually as much as you can and actually experience each day of the, the channel? Well, and look? the way these are set up, I don't know, I can show you on the page. I don't, you could hear what I was doing, but you might not have known what it was exactly, but each page looks the same. There are three, there's uh, a three-line unit, and then two, and three two-line units. And the two two-line units are indented, and the, uh, the, the first and last stanzas are on the left margin. And the lines uh, are all the same length. So, and it's, uh, this is uh, written in a courier font, or it's like a typewriter font, where the, it's uh, equivalent spacing. Each letter, each character has the same width. So a period is as wide as a W. Mm -hmm. And so it has a certain shape to it that there's a visual shape on the page that's part of what is going on in the writing. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've figured out how to do this by looking. 
In fact, I think if you counted these, the number of characters in each lines, including spaces, it would be the same number, but I just do it visually on the screen. And I write them out beforehand on, in a notebook. Right. So, so with the spacing and the words, it's like there's some, at least some analogy to haiku in a sense, maybe. You mean in the so? Yeah, the structure of it, of how three lines and how many, you know, certain number of words and so Well, forth. in the counting of syllables, no, but yeah. in the, I mean, the three line. Yeah. Yeah. But the other, the other works all had a different visual shape to them. Right. So each one is sort of working and sort of discovering what the possibilities of working in this shape yeah. is kind of a, a, a constraint, as they sometimes say. Right. So I hesitate to ask this because I don't, you may not have a, an answer, but do you have a, a term or a word or a thought for what kind of poetry this is, a school or a forum or anything like that? No. It's just you. It's your own. Well, it's what I do, but... That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did you come up, I mean, so this is but, the goal. But, but to answer your earlier question about do you get up, do you go down yeah, or yeah. something and see what's... I think you could hear that the, fir the first three lines are always looking at the same thing, although there was, one, there was one poem in there where there was a triangular white peak, which makes me think I had gone up to the mountains. <laughs> well, not lately. There's been some snow, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there, I mean, it's possible. But, I mean, these are views of, of, uh, from my house in Bolinas looking at the ridge, the field, what's going on with the clouds in the sky. And the last lines are uh, looking at things down in Bolinas Bay at the Overlook, and, and uh, where I d drive down there and take some pictures too. But it used to be that uh, in earlier works, uh, I would, uh, in, as part of this daily practice of things, uh, I was going out surfing every day, and when I, and when I would see something in the water. Uh, and water at eye level, I would when I would get back. I'd, in fact, uh, many times out surfing at RCA, I was thinking, here I'm coming out here to do a reading, but many times I would come out to R RCA and surf, not on a day like this because uh, it's too windy. But I'd get back up on the cliff and I'd have a little notebook in my pocket and I'd write down some things that I saw and then I would put those into the poem the next day. Uh -huh. So. So let's go back further, just a bit about you. So you lived here a long time. When did you, well, where were you born first? Is in the East I was Coast, born in Boston. Uh -huh, and came yeah, to but California. my family moved here in, uh, when I was four. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Moved and to the peninsula. Down the peninsula. Yeah. Then you, where did you go to school? I went to a park school in San Mateo Park, and then Crocker School in Hillsboro and Burlingame High. In Burlingame. Mm -hmm. College. I went first to Reed, Reed College, mm -hmm. for a year and a half. Notorious hot spot of poets, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Actually, yeah. one of my great uh, memories at Reed was, uh, must have been in the first year, I think, when Gary Snyder came back to do a, re a reading there in the chapel. And of course, it was unlike our room here, it was standing room only. It was, it was a big old you know, beautiful brick building chapel in the Reed campus. Reed College is like a, looks like an East Coast, you know, mm -hmm. uh, brick and 
lawns and trees, very nice campus, except it rained all the time. That was a little harsh, that's partly why I left. But uh, anyway, he came back to read and did a reading and, uh, it, and it was like the return of the hero because yeah. everybody was reading Gary Snyder right. at that point. Well, that's where he, late he was young. He 60s. Had met Philip Whalen there. Yeah, he went there. Those people. Yeah. 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 So then and you say you were there for a little while, then you came down here to Cal with it? Yeah, I, I dropped out of Reed uh, after the third semester. Quite not by plan. I just realized I didn't want to go back there after the Christmas vacation. And uh, then I went, uh, I stayed at home for a month or so and did some writing and then I went I went to uh, worked in Squaw Valley for the winter until the draft started to breathe down my neck because I didn't have the student deferment so I jumped back into school and went to Berkeley mm -hmm. yeah and you stayed there you went to graduate school too yeah I went through undergrad and um, I, so two you know two years and then uh, I didn't have a better plan, so I had applied to graduate school, got in there, and just continued because I was really into what I was doing. And, you know, it's not like there's a lot more to be done here. And what was that? You were focusing on, on poetry then already? Yeah, yeah. I was majoring in English and reading, you know, mm -hmm. literature. I didn't take, they didn't have creative writing there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's just reading stuff, and I just continued into the graduate program and, you know, certainly met some. Uh, some some people I know now were students there, and in some classes, poets that I know now were, were there at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, there were some mentor teachers, and you know, I continued. Mm -hmm. I, I uh, midway through. I mean, after the MA part of the program, and then I had to figure out what to do, and I got a uh, poetry fellowship to go down to Stanford. I was living in Bolinas by then. And what year are we talking about now? Yeah. I moved to Bolinas in 73, and I think I started graduate school at Berkeley in 1970, yeah. right after graduating in 1970. And you were at Stanford, you were a Stegner Yeah, fellow, Stegner right? Fellowship, and I just commuted down there from here. They wanted you to live down there, but, you know, I had a family. I didn't want to live down right. there. I lived that's, here. That's the famous, is it two years, two-year fellowship <clears throat> Something like that. Uh, That's what Ken Kesey and uh, I think it was just one year for oh, me. One year, seventy-four. Yeah, yeah. And they uh, and you just had to go down there and take a writing class, one class each quarter. Mm -hmm. So there were three, you know, three different teachers, mm -hmm. and uh, you know the drive wasn't so bad then. You know, I had, right, right. And I you finished it, your doctorate at Cal. I did eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It took eight years. No, that's not bad. <laughs> well, there was definitely some moments where I thought, what, you know, I don't know if I can do this, but right. I somehow figured it was, I'm glad I did because it, you know, opened, might, up, you, opened up doors. I've been right. living in Bolinas the whole time. The whole time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At one point I was trying, you know, I took, uh, had to figure out what to do my graduate work on, what, you know, you have to sort of focus and get a, and I thought, well, American literature or modern poetry. But, you know, I'd taken a lot of courses in uh, Shakespeare. And uh, one of the people, one of the teachers I was working with was a medievalist and, you know, and a poet, a, formal, for, a formalist poet. But anyway, uh, I mean, this, so. is a side, this is just a, a little side digression, but uh, I, I, I realized that... Uh, 
the English, I ended up writing my, uh, doing the PhD dissertation on Thomas Campion, who was a songwriter and a poet, and contemporary of Shakespeare, near exact contemporary. And uh, learning from uh, poets, uh, Pound and Creeley, they, uh, uh, and you know, always spoke of uh, Campion as being one of the great English poets. I mean, if you look in Pound's ABC of reading, Campion's in there. And they, you know, so I thought, and, I, and Campion is also in all of the English anthologies, you know, one of the great poets of the Elizabethan era. And people, if they said anything about him, they said he was the only person at the time who wrote words and music. So all of the English madrigals and airs were, you know, composers set someone else's words. And people said about Campion, the reason he is so good is that he wrote words and music together. And I thought, well, why is Campion so good? That would be really interesting to... So I ended up writing the whole thing, which came out as a, a book, is on an analysis of one song by Campion, looking at the words in the music. So there's a chapter on the syntax and the substance, there's a chapter on the phonetic sound of the words, a chapter on the rhythm, and a chapter on the words plus the music, and then a large appendix talking about all the things that I found in that one song that happened everywhere in Campion's song. So... Actually, I learned an amazing... Do you remember the first couple lines? Of oh, yeah, of course. All 24. <laughs> now, Winter Nice and Large is the book of uh, third book of airs, number 12, I think. You, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful. It's like kind of a... It has... Upon, yeah, now, Winter Nice and Large upon uh, the, number of, the number of their hours and clouds their storms discharge upon the airy towers. It's like... Yeah, it actually has some physical imagery, which makes it uh, seem, quote, modern. And so you said that, that getting the doctorate opened some doors, do you mean in terms of becoming a professor, a teacher? No, well, uh, yes, of course, that's like getting a driver's license right. to, you know, you need a, a degree. But no, uh, really, I, I realized uh, in what I, it, what I learned about uh, writing, about poems and, and, you know, from my own work, you know, uh, seeing my attention got so tuned to what was uh, happening in Campion's work, you know, looking. And so somehow to sharpen uh, one's attention to be uh, on, on how on sound, syntax, you know, just linkages between words, shape of the line, uh, all the things that go on in this kind of microcosm of, of a uh, verbal object. So... I realize that. Look, I'm I'm putting my uh, um, archives, my papers together now, and I've been really working on it a lot for the last maybe a year and a half because I don't don't have to go over there and teach anymore. And so I'm looking through all of my earlier manuscripts and writing and correspondence and and seeing uh, what and looking also at that work on uh, Campion that I you know the manuscripts and so on. It just sort of brings it home again that for me it was a really formative, uh, useful, a useful experience, which is I, actually when I started, I hoped that it would be because, you know, uh, so I can do this work on Campion and be useful to uh, my work as a poet. So, mm -hmm. But you did, so you, you did teach at Mills for how many years? A long time. 33. Yeah. A long time. Yeah, All after right. I finished Berkeley, I got some part-time teaching positions, you yeah. know, as a 
vis, you know, as an adjunct, basically. Uh, teaching literature? No, no, no. Uh, uh, at, at one was at um, Dominican College. It was then called Dominican College. And then uh, USF, teaching composition. Mm-hmm. Dominican was actually better. I got to teach a course in the novel, I think Joyce maybe, and there were a couple literature things, but they would hire you and then fire you the next semester, and it was really low pay. And I thought, this just doesn't work for it to make a living. So I started to do carpentry work. Michael Gaspers, you, some of you know, Michael Gaspers took me on as an apprentice. And also, I had a house in Bolina, so I was learning how to fix up a house you know, open it up, take out a bad post, put in new, you know, I was learning construction. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, my, my mom went signed me up for a carpentry class, which was really useful. I, I made a teeter-totter, a big one, you know, like a big out of two by 12s or something. So I don't know how I did it, but yeah. And then I, uh, by chance, I got a notice from the Berkeley English Department saying they were looking for someone to teach composition at Sonoma State one semester in the spring. So I, I got that position. And since and then I heard uh, they also sent out a note that Mills was looking for uh, a, someone to replace someone who's going on leave for two years. And since I was employed in academe, I, I thought, anyway, I applied for that job. And since I was working in Sonoma State, I seemed to be credible. So I applied and did an interview and got in. You're listening to a TNS conversation with poet Stephen Ratcliffe and host Steve Heilig. And, and I stayed on. Teaching there for all those years, what was your main focus? What were the classes you were doing? Oh boy. A lot. Uh, so they hired me originally to teach the classes that. Uh, Hannah Block in the English department is teaching Shakespeare, poetry writing, uh, and I was also teaching composition. I taught fiction, which I'd never written fiction, and I'd never had, anyway, I'd never taught creative writing or even taken anything, but, but they hired me as a generalist to do, you know, Shakespeare, Renaissance poetry, um, and then I, then I was, you know, I taught many courses in 20th century, New York school, Paris in the 20s, contemporary experimental poetry, English romantic poetry. I even ended up teaching survey classes where I had to start with Beowulf, which I had never read. That was at the end, <laughs> my end of my term. And they, were, and they were, you know, Mills went through so many changes in the time I was there. It's... Uh, it's, anyway, that's a whole other subject. Right, and you published through <laughs> those years, what, 20-something books? It seems some are little tiny books, some yeah. are but, you know, bigger. Yeah. yeah. This is the biggest one, right? This is like your War and Peace or your uh, <laughs> Remembrance of Things Past or Ulysses or something, right? <laughs> uh, not as many words as in those books, right. but... <laughs> That it weighs, it's a good doorstop. Uh-huh. Double doorstop. Yeah. Double door, two doors. Yeah. You want to read a little more from it? I could. Yeah, go for it. Unless anyone wants to. We'll talk more, but go take a little more. Well, I wish. should I read some from February of two years later? <laughs> yes. Okay, okay. I did a reading uh, last month in Berkeley 
with Norman Fisher. Some of you know Norman. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was at a cafe. It was January 7th. And I had decided, it was the first time I got to read anything from this book. So I decided I would read the opening, uh, the month of January, I think, or 20 days. I don't know, something like that. And I did that, and it seemed to work. So that's why I thought, oh, here it is, February. So it's kind of interesting to see uh, what's going on. We didn't talk about the middle sets of lines, but the beginning and end sets of lines, you can see have, you know, a lot of, it's like a weather report. So this must be from uh, 2016, 2-1. Light coming into sky above still black ridge, white half moon next to branches in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Just sounds like the same stuff. Same place. Same time of year. Same time of year. Some of the same words. I don't know if you can get away with this. You're in a rut, Steve. Total. You know, I used to think in poems you could never repeat. I mean, you shouldn't. You know, you don't want to repeat yourself. And uh, so I, I, I duly tried not to, but uh, at some point, and I, the one thing that comes, has come to mind about this to me is when I read Ted Berrigan, uh, his sonnets, you know, he repeats a lot of things. Lines and phrases get repeated. I thought, that's pretty cool. Because, I mean, every time something comes back, it's new. It's always in a new context. It's in a new setting. It's at a new moment. It's on a new day. So, and I also think, uh, you know, connecting back to Campion, these are like refrains in songs. You know, there's a kind of lyric song-like quality when sound of wave and channel I mean I thought I didn't really think about I think this yeah every poem in this whole all thousands of these pages end with the first stanza ends with sound of wave and channel not always sometimes it's no sound of wave and channel mm -hmm. or sound of waves on rocks or some or water on rocks something there's some variations when it's not in the same place but uh, anyway I'll start over. Light coming into so you can hear it, in case you missed that. Light coming into sky above still black ridge, white half moon next to branches in foreground, sound of wave and channel. That condition such object, fact as we shall see, place where parts situated, motion which itself clouds above shadowed shoulder of ridge, whiteness of moon and clouds above point. 2-2, two, two, two. light coming into fog against invisible ridge, motionless black branch in right foreground, no sound of wave and channel. Simply depiction, no sound of wave and channel. Simply depiction of nature, excluding the viewer thought which produced one. Look again, entering line of lights on horizon beside point, moon across from planet, across from it. Light coming into sky, clouds above shadowed plain of ridge, branches moving in wind in foreground, sound of wave in channel, line of letters themselves to be had in graphic, have used insofar as they are at all, that are fog against invisible shoulder of ridge, fog on horizon to the left of the point. 2-4. 
Light coming into sky above still black ridge, waning white moon next to branch in foreground, sound of wave and channel. For example, before a scene, suppose, do not know how such turned out to be nothing more, can be, red-orange of sky above shadowed ridge, white line of wave breaking in channel. 2-7. Light coming into sky above still black ridge, planet next to black pine branch in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Sea object, received after when was which began, remembered more than later as kind of one side, yellow-orange sky above shadowed ridge, planet across from moon, across from it. 2-8. Light coming into sky above still black ridge, pi black pine branch moving in wind in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Form that was knowing that, eyes if look askance, nonetheless there will be, as those who are not, Pink line of cloud above shadowed ridge, shadowed white wave breaking in channel. 2-9. Light coming into sky above still black plain of ridge, planet by pl pine branches in foreground, sound of wave in channel. What point of time, memory, then order of events, does nothing, say always together, different, pale yellow of sky above shadowed ridge, white line of wave in wind-blown channel. 2.10. Light coming into sky above still black plain of ridge, branches moving in wind in foreground, sound of wave in channel. But which thus lets arise that noise and sound between blue and gray, but does not too much as Red-orange sky above shoulder of ridge, white line of wave and mouth of channel. 2.11. Light coming into sky above black plain of ridge, jet passing above pine branch in foreground, sound of wave and channel. Following placement is not possible. Shall show examples of, together with motion, suggest that, Red-orange of sky above shadowed ridge, white line of wave breaking in channel. 2.12. Light coming into sky above still black plain of ridge, red-tailed hawk calling in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Depiction of darkness, see as though through it, background, parted curtain, presence disappeared. Red-orange clouds above shadowed ridge, white line of wave breaking in channel. Two thirteen, light coming into sky above still black plain of ridge, motionless black branch in foreground, sound of wave in channel. That aspects of that might be. Even out of step, nevertheless not, would be as if were, word for, fog against invisible shoulder of ridge, shadowed white wave breaking in channel. 2-4-14. Light coming into sky above still black plain of ridge, 
red-tailed hawk calling in foreground, sound of wave and channel. This before, since no more cloth available then, accompanied by problem of not because repeated, fog against invisible shoulder of ridge, fog on horizon to the left of the point. 215, light coming into sky above still black ridge, bird slanting toward pine branch in foreground, sound of wave and channel. That itself precisely, just as they here called, affected, therefore here enough, line of same, red-orange clouds above shadowed ridge, white line of wave breaking in channel. 216, light coming into sky above still black ridge, bird standing on shadowed branch in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Make selection demonstrate how it can be put to suggest as well as possess, rather, as has shown, yellow-orange sky above shadowed ridge, white line of wave breaking in channel. 217. Light coming into sky above still black plain of ridge, motionless black branch in foreground, sound of wave in channel. Show when was as he was at, which he held to contrast between surround figure becomes more pale orange sky above shoulder of ridge, shadowed white wave in mouth of channel. 218. Gray blackness of sky above still black ridge, motionless black shape of branch in foreground, sound of wave and channel. Out of current thinking, he, and yet this had not balance as much as means matters may turn out. Pink-red cloud above shoulder of ridge, white line of wave in mouth of channel. 219. Light coming into sky above still black ridge, birds calling on shadowed branch in foreground, sound of cars on freeway. But in this case, it is not. Falls in a certain translation, each with its own meaning, nor was line of lights on horizon next to ridge, blackness of cloud to the left of point. 220. Light coming into sky above still black ridge, unseen birds calling on branches in foreground, sound of cars on freeway. Here are the ones who look and are, ones themselves the same color, touches of blue set off by red, edge of sun rising above shadowed ridge, sunlit white waves breaking between, below point. That was, okay, stop there. Boy, a freeway. Freeway, yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> Cataclysmic. <laughs> Well, it could the have earth been. moved. <laughs> so you said you came to Bolinas in 73. Mm -hmm. how, how did that happen? Were you aware of, I mean, did, did poets draw you here? Or were you aware of that? Or was um, no, I really wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I was married uh, to, actually got married shortly after moved to Bolinas. But Ashley and I were living in San Francisco, North Beach. And uh, she wanted to move out of the city. She had some mother from uh, m money from her mother 
and she knew someone at the Art Institute who was painting a, a house on Brighton. And he said, when I'm finished painting, the owner's going to put it on the market. So we went and looked at it, and it was really nice, and it was, compared to today, completely inexpensive. Mm -hmm. So we moved here. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that was, that was looking at Ralph's rain report. I don't know if any of you saw his graph recently, where he had like 20-plus years. No, maybe went back to the 50s, I believe. Yeah, and, 50 years. Yeah, and maybe 50. And... Uh, but in 1973, that was one of the spikes. That was a really wet winter. And I remember going downtown, and there were all these guys in knee-high boots and lumberjack shirts and Bowie knives on their hips. And it was like, whoa, this town is... You know, I'd been to Bolinas once uh, when I had... When I, uh, on a, some break from Reed College, I, we came here up um, with some, a couple of my friends from high school, and met someone on the beach who had a bottle of wine and we drank some wine and got a ride back to the city. But, you know, I didn't really know about Bolinas. Mm -hmm. Actually, I had been out to Point Reyes before when I was a kid, but... And did you start then meeting, though, there was still, there was a so-called poetry scene here then? Yeah, uh, so you yeah, start, there was. I mean, do, were, do you consider, did you become part of that in a sense? You know, uh, you know I was kind of... Not really, and not certainly immediately, you know. I was, uh, I mean, I had a, a family, a baby. I was doing all this, you know, still going to school in Berkeley, commuting over there, trying to do this work and t teaching over there as a graduate student. But I began to meet people. Uh, Ashley knew Lynn O'Hare, and, and we met Bill Berkson, and he became, you know, an important person in my life met Joanne and began to meet people, began to see what was going on here. But I didn't, uh, I wasn't really, you know, I was kind of on my own wavelength mm -hmm. until I got out of that Berkeley graduate program, I think. Right. Yeah. Did you start surfing when you moved here too? You know, I'd grown up surfing as a kid, but uh, <laughs> it took me a while. I used to go walk down the Brighton and I see these guys in the water having fun out there and there probably weren't many women at that point but you know it's like I said I used to do that I could do that again so mm -hmm. actually uh, what did you do it before on the peninsula you oh, know yeah. growing yeah Santa Cruz and Half Moon Bay right. right I think my family went on a family trip when I was in seventh grade we went to Santa Barbara and uh, uh, there was a beach, and I rented a board and I paddled out and caught a wave. I think Molly you know, and I talked about that. You know that I, everybody who surfs, I think, might have a memory of a first experience where you got hooked. From Santa Barbara, you probably didn't have a wetsuit. Right? No, summer, no. <laughs> didn't have a wetsuit. No, didn't even have one later up here in high school. You know, it was really? just yeah, it was different then. Jack O'Neill was inventing the wetsuit, probably yeah. earlier, but <laughs> well, I guess Lloyd Kahn was talking about that. And, right, right. Yeah. Before leashes, too. Before, way before leashes. Yeah. Yeah. But so among the poets you met here, did you feel like that was influential on you? I yeah. Mean, so, I mean, this, you've written many different books, kinds of, but this is, I mean, I, I don't yeah. know what the right term, but it's, it's, it's purely observed. It's not about your feelings or thoughts about this, it seems. It's you're observing and putting down exactly what you see. 
Yeah, in, well, in the, the middle li- the middle yeah. lines are are not observing. They're not perceived perceptions, but I think that they're uh, interior thinking stuff. It's abstract, and 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 the poems sort of move between uh, concrete and abstraction, and they go back and forth. You know, the two middle lines frame. They, you know, they're this this framing that goes on the the, the first line, and then the two middle lines, then the last line, then the first line of the next poem. So it's actually two consecutive lines of perceiving real things and then two consecutive sets of lines that are abstract interior thinking verbal disjunctive material this works very different from what i was writing you know in the earlier in the in the 70s and the 80s and in, even into the 90s you know but uh, certainly when i got finished with campion i realized i could really start paying attention to my own work again more, although I was continuing to write, but I got out of that Stanford world and that was, you know, there was all kinds of different uh, potential influences that one runs into. But uh, yeah, certainly Bill Berkson was an important figure in my uh, life as a writer because he, he opened a lot of doors to his world. I mean, the world that he knew and came out of that and, you know, Joanne, seeing what, you know, there became, one evolves. I mean, if, if, you can, if you're lucky enough to keep going, you know, things change. Although I'm wondering, I'm getting to a crisis point now because I'm almost finished with this next thousand page book window. And I'm thinking, what next? What am I going to do? It's definitely a chat book, you know, a little. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's like when you start doing something, you don't exactly want to stop because it's hard to, you know, it might be hard to start again. Well, mm-hmm. well you have a good habit going. Mm-hmm. So you said you brought something else? Uh, I did. More recent or something? You want to read something else too? I could. It might sound the same. <laughs> but it doesn't look the same. I'm not worried about it, I mean, don't worry about it. Steve, what, what is happening in those? inner uh, abstract lines you talked about. It sounded a little bit like waiting for Godot. It sounds like wait, waiting for the Godot. <laughs> it sounds like epistemological or, or, or uh, studies of perception or the nature of words or whatever. You know, a lot of that, that material comes out of reading. I have these books that I use and I look through these books and I put together things. So... Just just put together several phrases that catch words, words, sometimes a phrase. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's certain rules here, like in the first of, in the first two, in the first set of two lines, there's uh, one comma, and in the second set of two lines, uh, there are two commas. So it creates some rhythmic shifts that you could hear, even if you didn't know what you were hearing, you could hear these things. You know, the other thing, uh, you have this book on the table, but maybe before I read something. So, uh, this, is, this is a book, um, it's smaller, it's not a doorstop, but it's a, a book that came out in, uh, when did this come out? 2012, recently. And uh, it's uh, a selection of, from six uh, other longer books, three before I did, started these uh, 
thousand-page books. I wrote uh, first first one, a 474-page book called Portraits and Repetition. It actually has a it has a, this the shape of the where you can see on the their five-line stanzas. Each and the lines are um, the first line is always three spaces longer than the second line. So again, there's this sort of visual shaping. And I was writing this, and it went on and on, and then I thought, boy, it's getting a little bit long, isn't it? You know, I should stop. So at some point, I think I went out of town, and it was page 474, and say, that's a good place to stop. It sort of sounds like a jet, 747. So I stopped. And uh, then, you know, for about nine months, I didn't, you know, I was doing other things. And then I started writing another one, I thought maybe I could do another one of these long books. That's like a little bit more than a year of writing. So I wrote another one called, it's called Real. And these poems have a different uh, shape on the page. They're 17 line, they're all 17 lines. I think they're five sentences with periods and capitals in them. Uh, but the right, but they're not, and they look like prose, but they're, the line breaks are actually uh, intentional line breaks. They have a, a visual shape to them. Uh, so I sort of, you know, I wrote them out by hand, but then when I put them, you know, typed them and set them onto the page, I had to pay attention to exactly where the line break was. It creates a kind of shape. It, it's not a shape of a picture, but the line goes in or out or makes a curve or something. So uh, that was then the second 474-page uh, work. And then I, I kept right on going at that point and did this one called Cloud Ridge, which was sort of, I'm still writing about clouds and ridges, but uh, this one was, you know, had a more complex structure. I think there were five different units and the one line would end partway through and the next stanza would have an indented line that moved over. It was really hard to make these work out. But uh, So there were three of those. And then when that cloud ridge was finished, uh, I started immediately from 1018 at the end of cloud ridge to 10, well, it's, it's not the same number here, but I started another one called Human Nature, and that went to 1,000 pages. And then, so there are 3,000 page works in this book and three 474 page works. It's like a little, you know, selection of not the best of the best, and trying to figure out which poems to choose, um, I decided I would take the last pages from each book because it seems that by the time I got, would get to the end of these works, I really knew what I was doing. You know, I kind of figured it out. You're listening to a TNS conversation with poet Stephen Ratcliffe and host Steve Heilig. I, seriously, it's, it sounds absurd. It sounds... Stupid, but you know when you it's like uh, when you're cultivating your own backyard, you begin to know what's in there after a while, and take some time to figure out what you're doing. And uh, so, anyway, it made some sense, and it also gave a sense of in the in the selected days a sense of uh, what the sequence would be like if you you know the continuity from one day to the next, which seems to be an essential part. But the thing I was going to say about this other book, this I lost my train of thought. This is a, a book that uh, called uh, Reading the Unseen. 
came out in 2010. And uh, it's about offstage action in Hamlet. I've been writing, because I was teaching Shakespeare, and when Mills College uh, denied me tenure after being there for, uh, let's see, six years as a visitor, and then three years as uh, on the tenure track, and then I uh, came up for tenure, and the tenure committee approved me, but the president's, or the provost, overturned it and said no. So I had to, and they didn't really have a good reason. They hadn't given me any, you know, warning that I wasn't okay. But one of the things they said was, uh, uh, you haven't, well, the excuses they gave, had to fight them about it, and, and uh, I prevailed, but uh, they said you need to, you're not doing any work in the Renaissance. I'd already published the book on Campion, but uh, that was one of the excuses. So I thought, well, I need to do that, you know, keep my job. So I started to think, well, uh, I can write some stuff on Shakespeare because I'm talking about Shakespeare all the time. So it took, I realized in just going through the uh, papers the last few weeks that this book was written over about 15 years or something, you know, because I wrote an essay. The first piece I wrote doesn't even appear in the book, but I wrote an essay about Gertrude's speech about uh, Ophelia's death. It takes place only in words in the play. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's off stage, and you hear about it. And actually, there are many things in Hamlet that are talked about but not performed physically on the, on the stage. So we... We hear about them and we imagine them in our mind's eye. There was a willow grows askant, the brook that shows its hoar leaves in the glassy stream, and Ophelia goes up on that branch and falls. So, it you know it made me think about uh, the relationship between things you see with your eye and in a play, things you hear about in speeches, but you don't uh, see performed uh, physically on the stage. And so it's actually a really interesting. Uh, thing and it has something to do with uh, what's going on in these poems too I think maybe I mean you know all these words that I'm writing about you know sound of wave and channel or the clouds and the ridge those you don't see, I'm, I saw those things and I wrote them down and the words point to them but the words are not the same thing as uh, the event in the world and the other thing that I would put in there is that uh, I take these photographs, you know, for, for the time of cloud, uh, you know, the sound of wave and channel poems, I was taking pictures of the Bolinas, of the Tam Ridge, Bolinas Ridge from my back door. Um, and now in the window poems, I'm taking pictures of the window. But, uh, so you have the word image is in the poem, and then you have the uh, image without the word that's in the photograph. And then you have the event itself that's out there. And there's this triangulation between uh, the, the, the writing, the, vision, the, the picture, and the uh, world. And no th they're, they're all connecting, but they're none, they're not, none of them are quite the same, not at all the same. So it's kind of a curious thing that's, that I'm, I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, should I read some of these? Mm -hmm. Okay. I won't read 20. It seems like too much, but maybe I'll read 10. These are more recent? Yeah, these are going to end up today. I just printed these out. So, let's see. Um, yeah, this will be 
starting at 2.11. Cloudless blue-white sky above shadowed green ridge, brown toey standing on bricks in right foreground. Reflection which, in fact, what meant by saying that elements, point and line, which were also different. How speech imagines in words the world beyond world, taking place on stage things not seen, heard with ear. Sun beside line of cloud above still shadowed ridge, white lines of waves breaking into mouth of channel. 212. Light gray whiteness of clouds above shadowed ridge, first birds chirping on pine branches in foreground. Letting it appear so that keep in view, unconcealed some of the above, mainly promise of, play of light, relation between seeing action and hearing it, how to know what really happened if we don't see it. Pale orange edges of clouds above shoulder of ridge, whiteness of waves breaking to the right of channel. 213, gray-white rain cloud against still invisible ridge, motion of shadowed leaves above fence in foreground, note point fixed in space evidently, motion of part, new concept of, substance appears at rest, position, turning in relation becomes visible beyond temporal there in which various facts are in any way clear. Gray rain cloud against invisible shoulder of ridge, whiteness of wave breaking across windblown channel. 214. Light gray, white rain cloud against invisible ridge, sound of jet passing over pine branch in foreground. One who knew how to walk, out of step with the time, finally moves out beyond, first, already continuous situation in which we find ourselves in relation to thereby the event in that way first becomes there. Gray rain cloud against invisible shoulder of ridge, white wave breaking into windblown mouth of channel. 2.15, gray whiteness of clouds above shadowed green ridge, Six sparrows perched on redwood fence in foreground. Before an example of what, which, every one of these passages, such a subject, nothing other than itself. How sound of verbal action moving outward elsewhere beyond present physical events echoed in such words. Shaft of light slanting down from cloud above ridge white line of wave breaking across mouth of channel. 216, horizontal white cloud in pale blue sky above ridge, white crowned sparrow on bricks in right foreground. So that he might keep, so he will not appear in its offer of things, light in front of, a few days away. Turning in relation becomes visible beyond temporal there in which various facts are in any way clear. Blinding whiteness of sun next to cloud above ridge, shadowed white wave breaking into windblown channel. 217. Light and window opposite unmade yellow and blue bed, 
white-crowned sparrow landing on post in foreground, motion-taking time, which consider further changing space, may be looked upon as that, proves less than, absence of Shakespeare, trace left in tissue of text, impossibility of idea of author holding up to proof, white circle of sun above line of cloud above ridge, shadowed swell lines moving toward mouth of channel. 218, dream in unmade yellow and blue bed opposite window, waterfalls flowing after snow, man can't find camera, was in the same sense of which now, incomprehension of related scenes, side view perspective, inside mouth, when alternate sides of faces, right, left, right, left, turns posing among sitters, move the observer around. Blinding whiteness of sun next to shoulder of ridge, shadowed swell lines moving toward mouth of channel. 219, cloudless blue-white sky above shadowed green ridge, sparrows pecking up seeds from bricks in foreground, picked up pen in parting, subject leading to garden does not reach, what does not belong to it, visible tomato plants, snow peas, chard, parsley, beets, lettuce, radishes, garlic, pole beans, broccoli, need I continue? Sun rising into cloudless pale blue sky above ridge, shadowed swell line in otherwise motionless channel. 220, light in window opposite unmade yellow and blue bed, brown toey landing on redwood fence in foreground. Every experience in which position will bring home nothing, idea from which to build pictorial theory Imagine reading as if listening to a speech, perhaps, looking at a picture or sequence of a supposed events. Pale yellow of sky above plain of cloud above ridge. Shadowed swell lines moving toward mouth of channel. That was today. <laughs> I might have misread something there. Pale yellow of sky below, plain of cloud above ridge. Did I say above? It was below. <laughs> anyway, no big deal. Well, thank you for that. So, questions, comments, discussion of this? Steve, it's a really meditative project. It's almost like a daily prayer. Hmm. Norman Fisher uh, is a poet who lives in Muir Beach and is a Zen abbot. He's at Green Gulch for years. Now I think he's spending three months down at Tassajara, but he wrote a really nice piece about portraits and repetition, that book, talking about composition as meditation. Yeah, the daily practice. Yeah. yeah. Is reading allowed? Pardon me? Reading allowed your work, part of your process? You know, you're arranging things on the page do you, do you also well I hear it you know I hear I definitely uh, I hear it I don't I mean I maybe I read it to myself a lot yeah I mean to try to get the sound the sound happening yeah yeah sound is a big plays a big part in what's going on does it give you comfort to uh, repeat 
uh, <clears throat> the sense of the, the, the visuals day after day, does it give you some sense of um, uh, connection and comfort with, with the, the visuals around you? I think so. Yeah. Comfort, I hadn't thought about it, but uh -huh. does it give you comfort listening? Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of like um, there's, there's the uh, sense of repetition and, and knowing it's coming almost like mm -hmm. hi mom, you know, or mm -hmm. having a, a sense of a friend who's there, you know, there. No, it's really interesting. It does, you know, in writing it, it doesn't give me comfort, I don't think, but, you know, uh, but I, I hear what you're saying, and actually when I read it out loud, I do have that experience a lot when I hear it, especially reading one after another. Mm -hmm. You know, I did a reading in the city, I, I forget when it was, a couple of months ago, and I read, just works from window, this book hadn't arrived yet, it must have been in the fall, late fall. And there are, you know, a lot of people there, and the person who had in, invited uh, us to read, uh, at one point I looked up, I didn't make eye contact with you, but <laughs> apologies. But I looked up and I saw Kevin Killian. He was sitting in the front row and his eyes were closed. And I breathed a sigh of relief because I thought, oh, okay, he's in the zone. He's not ready to give me the hook and say, enough, get out of here. <laughs> but I think, you know, people have said to me that, you know, listening to this, you know, stuff being read is, you know, is kind of meditative. You just sort of go off into a daydream. Yeah. Well, and it's a reminder too of the waves, is you know, it being eternal in a sense too. They're right. always there, you know. Right. The, the common. Right. Well, I think the too. way the, I like, I, I really like this sort of two line. You, these lines are, you know, two line couplets, but I mean they're kind of like waves, marching across the page. You know, it's just like this. Yeah. It. 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 In uh, stepping back from it, I think it does provide a kind of, you know, ongoing. Yeah, meditative thing. You know, Steve, it's, well, it, from my experience, it's not so much a daydream. It's like time, you're slowing down time mm. and paying attention to the very slight changes that occur in, in something that seems like it's not changing. I mean, it's it's, like your window series is like that, looking at the images. Yeah. You look at them superficially and they all look alike, but then if you slow down and really look at them hard, you notice that each one is slightly different. Oh, yeah. yeah. And even if the same words are being used, I yeah. mean, uh, I think in one of these, I might have had the same line twice, which was a mistake. I, didn't, I might have to go back and look at that, but you might not even have heard it. But, uh, yeah, it kind of slows down time, but also in a weird way it speeds it up because here we went through 20 days or here just 10 days in, in about 10 minutes, yeah. you know. You know, I've done some readings of these, actually all of the thousand page, maybe four of them at least, I've done uh, readings of those works together with musicians. I was, ta I was talking with Steve about the possibility of doing maybe this one, Sound of Wave and Channel, here at, in, the, in the room upstairs, because it would be a great space. And these readings took uh, 14 hours. <laughs> yeah, like one, the first one we did at UC Davis, and it started at four in the afternoon, and it was end at six in the morning, and uh, so it went all night. And at one point in the middle, and there was like a guy doing video projection and music, hand-built instruments, some people from Mills College who were you know in the music world, and others, and uh, 
actually Keith, uh, Keith Evans, who lives in Bolinas, was has did video in some of these things. And he was doing video there at Davis. And at one point in the middle of the night, I was sitting at a table like this, and there was an overhead light. It was otherwise the room was dark. The video had stopped, the music had stopped, and I heard someone snoring, and I realized I'm the only person awake in the room at this point. And I'm just with mean, these stacks of pages, you know, just reading one after another. <laughs> so I always think of that. Someone said, nobody came to my reading. I said, oh, that's okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, th but that experience of reading, you know, a thousand pages over a period of hours is really, it's like an endurance feat, you know, a marathon, but it's really, uh, it's a pretty, it's deep, you know, it's pretty, it's intense. You can do a visual, like say the window, and all these different subtle little changes. Yeah, I've actually done a couple of readings where I had, um, the, you know, I projected the images for each on each page. That was kind of. And they were all slightly different. Yeah, they're totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the weather's always different. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, even though the words don't seem that different, if you looked at the image, you see they're very different. Right. You know. There's well, a different it, it tone of gray. over time, too. So you read through February where it's clear there's rain and so forth. But you go into August and the word fog oh, is over and over oh and over God. here. Right? So you can see the evolution through that's, there. Because I know where you, know, where you so are true. in particular, sometimes that window is a whiteout, right? Yeah. And, uh, so you know, in these long thousand-page readings where I get into the summer and it's like so many days of fog. It's like, oh, my God, it's really torture to read those. And suddenly... Late September, October, the sun comes back into the poems like, what a relief. <laughs> and it's comfort. Yeah. I know, there's a lot of fog. A, yeah, I mean, yeah. we're in, you know, It's like, a, it's like an almanac. Every... You know, right. The daily almanac. <laughs> yeah. Yes? This isn't so much about, well, you'll see what it is. It's that I'm, I'm so taken with how you're... Your interest in the shape of the poem and yeah. what it actually looks like, and it makes me remember that you used to do a lot of collage. Um, yeah, you still make it hard in that way anymore. You know, I think a lot of these poems are collaging uh, words together, but no, I don't make those. I, you know, um, but it was a, a, a kind of a practice. That one year, I made one collage piece every uh, once a week, <laughs> and then the next year, I made one every other week. And then I. I make one for the mini miniature show whenever they they'll have me. Yeah, I like those little ones. I usually buy them back because I don't want to get rid of them. Make a donation to the museum. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to a TNS conversation with poet Stephen Radcliffe and host Steve Heilig. Thank you for listening to TNS, The New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Thanks for listening.